Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A from The Advocate magazine. Today, I'm talking to Zach Stafford, who is the brand new editor-in-chief of The Advocate, and we have what I think is a really important and necessary conversation about the past, present, and future of LGBTQ media on the whole. We also talk about his vision for The Advocate, his time at Into, Into's closing, and then we discuss the current controversy that The Advocate and Out Magazine are in surrounding unpaid contributors. So I really appreciate Zach's frankness and willingness to have that conversation. Now, as always, if you like the interview, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with all of your friends. When you do that, it is one of the biggest ways you can help our show continue to grow. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's done that. All right, without further ado, here's Zach. Congratulations. This is a big accomplishment. (laughs) There are days when it feels like that, and the other days I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was really overwhelmed when the job was announced, um, because it was a very, you know, tumultuous moment of my life when I was leaving one position where I'd created the magazine into with Grinder, and was moving into a magazine that I'd respected for so long, and it was very surreal. And then the article came out announcing that I got this new job uh, in NBC, and I was like, breaking news, new job, and my life had never, my job had never been breaking news before. And I just got this like flood of like emails and letters and notes from people who were so excited. And so many older, older folk, especially um, who I'd known had called me crying and because the advocate had been such a profound part of their own identity and their own journey. And it was something that they, many of them said they stopped reading once they became like older queer folk, they went out in the world and they were like, you know, they didn't really read the advocate, but it was this really big part of their life. So when the announcement of my onboarding, along with people like Philip out, I think it's been this whole energy around something that's been vital to our community forever that people may have not focused on as much as the mainstream media now seems like it's going to have like this even more mainstream moment, which has made me excited to be a part of it, which makes it very scary because I'm like, there are a lot of eyes on Of course. (laughs) And I think you hit the nail on the head because it's a really interesting position because of the rich history of the magazine. So many people are invested in your success. Mm -hmm. And yet simultaneously we feel really let down at the direction it's gone. If you don't mind me saying. Yeah, yeah, no, go for it. Yeah, no, it's, I get why. Because, you know, people saw The Advocate in the 90s was a part of the mainstream conversation because it was our only source of kind of content in media and journalism. I mean, to have Madonna go on the cover and talk about her friends dying from AIDS, massive. Us getting Madonna on the cover now is tremendously hard. So I think queer folks saw that mainstream access as they were growing up. And then they they became mainstream themselves in many ways. Um, and they're now looking at the world when we're fighting just as hard as we were back then, but for different issues. And they're like, why are the magazines not standing next to us in the ways that they once were? And a lot has to do with like, you know, the internet technology and content, which we can get into. But I think what is happening right now within the Pride Media Company is a moment of like, okay, let's inject all that energy, all that focus in this era and see can these magazines go mainstream and what does that look like and what yeah. should it look like and why people I think are so <laughs> kind of enraptured by what's happening. I mean, not just with my job, but with what's happening at out magazine is because like, if we win, that says something a lot about, I think the community and what we're going, what we can do. Um, but also like we are, I tell this to people like Philip all the time that like, we have such, uh, we have arrived on such big shoulders and we have such big shoes to fill and we have such a responsibility because these magazines aren't just magazines. It's not like, you know, Into has sadly closed and 
Into will be in history books and be part of this really big history of queer culture and queer media. But Into leaving doesn't, you know, it's not like if the advocate closed. If the advocate closed, it would be like so big of a trauma, I think, for people. I think that's such a great point because Into's closing is concerning, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, I think you used the metaphor once, it's not the canary in the coal mine. It's not the canary in the coal mine, yeah. So so yeah. how do how are we supposed to process what Into's closing means for queer media? Like, what is the yeah. takeaway there? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. You know, I've been trying to place that too because, you know, Into was my entire life. I moved to LA for it. It was... When it was pitched to me, it was a blog on grinder.com that so people don't really realize this that like Into was around before I was around. And it launched in beta and it was a blog and you had to go to grinder.com to read it. And it was just like some photos. It was like an Instagram feed. And it wasn't journalistically uh sound or even thought to be a journalism outlet. And it took like me coming in and then talking to other folks like Nico Lang and Matthew Rodriguez to imagine what that grinder technology could do. So we literally came and saw like, oh, this is GPS technology. It's global. It's geographic. We could build like many newspapers on top of this. So that's how that began. And it was, I was treated, and people at Inti will tell you this, like I used to always call things experiments. I'd be like, okay, we're gonna try this experiment. So we're gonna like produce a bunch of this content. We're gonna test it and see what happens. And that's why I hired a lot of BuzzFeed people because BuzzFeed does this really well. So we're like, okay, in this new age of digital, we're gonna just try a bunch of things. So Inti was like this really beautiful playground, which I think why when people, it closed, there were a lot of opinions about why it closed or what it happened. But what was really, you know, consistent was like a sadness. And the sadness was bigger than just content and journalism. But I think it was that, for a moment in time, the technology that is Grinder and the money that Grinder has was invested back into the community that built it. And we let people do whatever they wanted for good and bad. You talk about the Ariana Grande essay moment, bad moment, but some really great moments. Sure. Funding a whole caravan of queer journalists in Mexico to report on the, on the Tijuana stuff and the border. So like, there was like this variance. And so when Into closes, why I say it's not a canary in the in the, in the the coal mine, I guess, is that Into was an anomaly on so many levels. Like you have a tech-backed content platform that had, you know, I will say tremendous amounts of resources. Like the money, I cannot disclose how much money was spent, but like I spent a lot of money, <laughs> grinders money on queer people. And that, it was a moment. And we were trying to build a business. And, you know, when I left, I guess Grindr decided they needed to go different directions and Grindr owned everything. So they did what they did when I left. It wasn't supposed to close, especially like that, what I was told, but it happened. But why I don't think Into can be compared to, you know, if like, if the advocate closed is that it doesn't sit in this rich history of it, a movement. It didn't begin as a newsletter as a response to, you know, police brutality in Los Angeles. It didn't grow um, and become the paper record for the AIDS epidemic. Um, in the 90s, Into never had like even one exist or two pivot its business model because, you know, uh, personal ads couldn't be sitting next to an absolute uh, advertisement. So they had to take away certain content, whatever. Uh, Into had ads running on it, but those we weren't actually taking a lot of ad dollars. We did a few direct business partnerships, but it wasn't like this big you know, uh, ad back platform that because we lost a deal with, you know, absolute vodka, we had to close. That was none of it. There yeah. was none of that possibility. So that's when I say it's not the canary and the, the K, the whatever the coal mine is that when we talk about media platforms dying, we're talking about the Facebook algorithm destroying the revenue model. And we're talking about Twitter's algorithm destroying the revenue model. 
Intune owned its traffic. Like Grinder was the distributor, so Grinder could only cut it off, and Grinder then did cut it off. And that's massive, and no other company, eh, the majority don't yeah. have that. Yeah, most don't have it. And that was the the experiment was that, you know, could we bring in tech? A tech company and build a content platform on top of it and control the traffic instead of depending on third-party platforms to traffic it. So at the Advocate, we use you know Facebook and Twitter to drive traffic and Google Search. Into did those things the big traffic Grinder because how many Grinder users were there roughly? So Grinder has about forty million registered users um, and four million daily active users. So four million daily active users were seeing into content. Yes, that is absurd. Yes, so the, that's yeah, massive. We get traffic and we turned it on and off. Not all of them saw it all the time, um, and we had different ways we were playing with it. But I had a whole like product and uh, a GM that was experimenting lots of things on the back end. So yeah, it was we had a captive audience that we could be like. Here, like one of my last projects before I left, is that we were testing in India. So we built a feed that most people in America don't know about of Hindu content in India that was live for a month, and we we're looking at like what do Indian queer folk want to look at, and those are the things that like you know makes me really happy and sad about Into is that about its closure, especially is that like Into was like a .dot com like you know advocate .dot com out, but what we were doing on the other side of the company around integrating content. In a platform in Azerbaijan, in India, in doing that stuff that the Western media wasn't talking about—that's, I think, is a really sad part of what's what's missing. Right Because now. you're able to act like local journalists. Yeah, yeah, and that's where like what was really special to me is that you know I remember one of the first stories we did was called uh, "Dancing in Tbilisi," a dance one in Tbilisi, I believe. And it was about an underground queer party in Tbilisi, Georgia, the capital of Georgia. And we delivered it to Georgians, and we had to have this whole ethical dilemma. Oh, the country, the Georgia. Country, yeah. okay. the I was country. like, what? The okay. country. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and um, we had this whole ethical dilemma around, you know, the sources were like, yeah, talk at length about what our dance floor is like, where are the parties happening, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, you know, we can't disclose that because we're going to be blasting this to everyone in that area of the, of the world. And, you know, there could be some, you know, bad uh, actors on the app. That would then get information that your dance party happens here. So we'd have to think about those things. Or when Tunisia was about to have a mass genocide, potentially if the government did use social to attack all the gays, uh, we had to think about Into content in that moment, and then also our grinder for equality content. So there was this whole global part of Into that isn't part of these these recent discussions about it, um, which is fine. I mean, that's why I go around and talk about it, um, doing a talk at South by Southwest about it, but. Um, you know, into in terms of what it meant to Western media was really cool because you know I'm black. A lot of my staff were people of color, or gender non-conforming people, or women, and because we had the capital and didn't need to do the rat race of like, you know, we need to get these adults from Absolute, so we got to do content like this. We were able to like say like fuck it and do a lot of things, and that's where the representation just like took off. Like all of our columnists were mostly people of color, um, and they got to say really radical things, like Clarkisha Kent says like what she feels and we gave her that space um and it was important and needed in a lot of outlets you know like, like esquire <laughs> for instance um would be fearful because like her content next to a direct advertising partner would be kind of dangerous to some deals um potentially um but with us it didn't really matter um we could do that and that was really for a moment so for a moment it was freedom and it was everything and then it closed of course so if it does not signal the apocalypse yeah, let's say into his closing and it's like a big question mm -hmm. what is the future of lgbtq media give God. me the state of the union the state of is the it union. precarious is it solid are you looking forward to it i mean i'm looking forward to because i'm a fighter i think we're dealing with you know, a tremendous amount of uh, 
bloating within business models. Like we were really obsessed with, you know, a lot of money through Facebook and those Facebook ad deals and driving traffic through videos and all that. So we overinvested in all these crazy areas. And now they're not making any money. So now we're seeing all this like cutting and rearranging. And I think like Wired had a really interesting piece that called, that said that journalism isn't dying, it's just returning to its roots. And I do believe that's where the trend is going, what people are wanting. Because we're seeing people that wanting to have, like, you know, I think people want to have tougher conversations and they want to have more content and more information. All we're seeing right now is like the emergence of huge content platforms, huge generate uh, user-generated content platforms, and people spending their whole lives looking at content. So we're now in a moment where like, how do we monetize off of this? And you're seeing people like, you know, Recode, Decode, launch that really successful, you know, conference system um, with Kara Swisher. Um, Team Vogue is doing conferences. LA Times, I think a quarter of the revenue comes from live events. Um, we're seeing that, you know, the advertisements on your website aren't going to be what save you. And you should diversify your revenue. Um, so businesses are doing that. And we're even doing that private media. We're thinking about different partnerships. Um, so those businesses do need to be rebuilt and rethought of because before, you know, newspapers were such big, like money makers. People don't really realize that, especially our age. So in the eighties, you know, these things had little margins. You're paying writers, not a lot of money to produce a lot of content. You're wrapping a ton of ads around it and print. And before social media, you know, your newspaper was where you saw everything. You didn't have Twitter to find everything or Facebook to target ads to you. Those were all in your newspaper. So the business was like huge. I mean, I think the margins for most papers was like 30%, which is bigger than Google's. So it's like, this is why there was such an investment. So when the model shifted with the internet and no one could catch up at, at scale, it's all kind of crumbling. But I think it's crumbling to show us what's worth saving. Yeah, and I, I see the model shifting in the internet, but then continuing to shift. Yes. And everyone's like doing what worked five years ago. Yes. <laughs> They're like too late. And like, we're like, oh, I got to catch up. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it just, yeah, I don't know. And so I think like the lesson there is like create content that you want to see mm-hmm. and that is quality. Mm-hmm. And like, it will hopefully be found if you're yes. the right platform behind it. Yes. I know that's oversimplifying greatly, but like, I believe that. But that's kind of the model. I mean, my head of product at Into seems. Uh, Andy Cheatwood, he's fantastic. He created Wirecutter, the New York Times bot. Um, and we would talk a lot about this. We would say, he would, he would say this to the other executives, you know, what makes Intu really great is that we have a lot of access to really great content. And that should be the investment is great content. Because content, as you're seeing a lot of media companies lean into, is like where money can keep spinning off for the long term. So I'm sure a lot of people are seeing that like, you know, some of your favorite board games are becoming movies or a lot of your favorite YouTubers are getting book deals and then movie deals. That's because it's the IPs and intellectual property are really valuable in America. Um, unlike in places like China where they don't have as strict IP laws, but in America, one piece of content could fuel you for your whole life. So we're seeing certain companies lean into that to be like, okay, what have we made that's really good? And how do we make lots of money off that one thing over and over and over again? So you're exactly right that like the future media is high quality content. Um, But then that takes like, do you have the resources and access to the systems that make money off of that? And then whose content is worth spending again? So we get into the same social issues. Of course. So when you took over as the editor in chief and chief content officer at Intune Mm -hmm. slash Grindr, that was a pretty big step up for you career-wise. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, and that's amazing. I want to hear about, like, what kind of learning curve did you have? Like, what, what were some of the bigger things that you had to learn fast? God, wow, you were the first one to ever ask me that. Um, yeah, so for the record, it was a huge learning curve for me um, that was self-fueled uh, in terms of the opportunity. So 
what happened was I was brought in to be the editor in chief of Into at the time. You know, the staff there who are all like still very dear friends of mine that are old executives, um, who have gone off to be like heads of Netflix and Bumble. We're like, hey Zach, like we want to use you to create a content platform that primarily just freelances out a lot of work, um, but like it's pretty small scale. Gets like you know a million hits a month. We can sell ads against it, and it was a broad and grinders, you know, advertisement base. And I was like, "Cool, got it. That's great." You know, I prior to this, I'd been a reporter uh, at the Guardian. I'd been an editor briefly at Out, editor at large, looking at more like bird's eye view stuff with Aaron Hicklin and other staff there. Um, at the and at the time, I was working on a show with NPR, so I was doing all these like projects that I was leading, but nothing was like running. A magazine. And uh, so when I joined Grindr, they're like, he's got it. I just had like a team of two people or three people. It was very small and very manageable. And then Grindr went through a full acquisition and was bought by a different company or fully acquired by Kunlun. And in that moment, we, there were a lot of major shifts in the company. And as I was fighting so hard for Into, which I saw all this promise in what we thought it could be, um, the company that was back in Grindr was like, we also see that that could be something. So people kind of just cleared the way and let me sprint. Huge. <laughs> and I'm a really, like, I'd like to say I'm a quick learner. I'm pretty, you know, uh, uh, malleable. And um, I had, along the way, had a lot of people that were able to give me a lot of information quickly. So, like, the ad sales parts of the business, I knew some. But as a reporter, like, when I was doing crime reporting, I wasn't thinking about brands and ads. I, I literally was not even a thought in my mind. Like, I totally know how writers, like, sit at their desks, even here. And write most days and don't even think about, you know, Pampers. <laughs> so I had to quickly learn, like, you got to think about Pampers. You got to think about these things. So I learned that. And this woman named Michelle Tobin was there with me. And uh, she was just so incredible. She helped create Angry Birds. And she's just this brilliant head of revenue. And she just taught me a bunch. Um, and then our old chief marketing officer, Peter uh, Sauterdijk also was a big teacher for me. So um, first six months of Grinder into they just like threw me in the fire. And what was great about it is that Grinder was wanting to build a media company. So they were learning. And as they were learning, they were teaching me. And they were bringing in some of the best and brightest people. So I was just like a sponge taking in. So like even folks like Andy G, which I mentioned earlier, had a product of Wirecutter. Like brilliant person came here to work on into um, had some high level people at BuzzFeed come in to work on into. And so it was just this like all these brilliant ass people were coming in to make sure that I was successful and I will never not be so grateful for the opportunity because I was able to just take it and keep running. Um, so then as Grindr kept changing, um, I think the biggest learning curve for me was, you know, being a chief content officer of a company, um, like Grindr is like half my job was working on Grindr stuff. And there's lots of like, I can't talk about publicly, but, you know, becoming an executive of a tech company at 27 was, uh, overwhelming. When I look back at the moment, it made sense. Like it was like, as I was in the fire, like I was like, yes, we're working on this. We're doing this. I'm learning. Okay. I can, cause I knew Grindr the product so well and I was building into, so these things were so intimate to me. So I was really obsessed with keeping their integrity there um, or fighting for more integrity for them in some cases. Um, but yeah, so it was like kind of very much learning on the job and, because the grinder's not vast and like in terms of staffing um at the end of the day i was like it's me or nobody doing this so i gotta gotta do this you said that you started with like two or three people what yeah. did you what did it end with oh god there's so many people i mean into itself ugh, staffing wise i mean it's in the teens yeah staff was less than 20 for into specifically in terms of 
contributors and freelancers, I mean hundreds, like wow. of people. Like it was so many people on payroll frequently. That's it, just that's a massive amount of growth. Yeah. And then also compared to what you're doing now, mm-hmm. um, you built up this thing at Into, and then you here are stepping at the advocate are mm-hmm. stepping into in, in running machine. Yes, a machine that's moving. Like jumping in here was kind of this. I mean, I'm a month in now, I guess, and uh, it was interesting. I went to Into, and it was like, okay, start and build, and like. We built so quick. I mean, within a year, I mean, Intu's gotten, I mean, now as Intu closes, it was around for a year and a few months. It has, you know, three Glad nominations, one win. We have, it has tons of other wins across other organizations. It has like a Shorty Award. It won like everything and did everything. And that's so why I'm always like, there were a lot of critiques at the end of Intu by different people who had different feelings about it. But I was like, at the end of the day, like in one year, I took a site from zero people through averaging over 3 million monthly uniques to mini awards, to the Washington Post in their style guide, when they reference Into, they just say Into. New York Times, when they say Into, they say Into. It wasn't like Grinder owned this, Grinder that, Grinder magazine. It like within a year, some of the oldest publications in the world were just like Into. And I had never seen, you know, I hadn't seen The Advocate as a source in any of these in forever. So to see that happen was like incredible. Um, but then jumping into The Advocate was like, holy shit. This thing has been running for 50 years. And there are people here who have been working for like as long as I've been alive. And it has been the most incredible experience as a gay man to sit down in an editorial meeting and talk to someone about something in the news and for them to say, you know, back in 94, this is how it happened then. This is how we dealt with it. And, you know, that's something into I was always missing was I never felt I got a history to lean on. Grinder was so young. Oh. Into was so young. I had no points of reference. And just that institutional knowledge mm-hmm. is so valuable. And there was none of that. And Grinder had just been acquired, so there was like all new institutions, all new everything. But the world expects so much out of Grinder because it's so high profile. So, you know, when I would do things like, you know, when we had the Ariana Grande essay scandal where this essay was released that wasn't finished and it was really clumsy and made a lot of statements about Ariana Grande that went viral. Um, and... I was learning in motion at that moment um, of how, like, I was trying to reference every other newspaper I worked in and how we would deal with a situation like this. And as it escalated from, you know, just a bad piece that's running to now at one point there were rape allegations against the writer, um, I'm within hours of not even knowing this going life, having to think about, like, okay, what are our policies as an institution on retracting uh, pieces? We're a year old. What should it be? Okay. We keep them up because X, Y, Z, because we got to own it okay, what do we do when there's a criminal investigation that occurs in the midst of this content? Okay, what does California state law say about this? What did the lawyer say? Did they, so there's like all this stuff and, you know, a lot of my time there, I was like trying to do the best I can. Um, and it, it worked out in the end with every with most things, but uh, in terms of like that, those issues that would occur, but it was just, everything was so new and so fresh. And, and the thing with like, there was so many times I would refer to it as like Icarus, like we were flying too close to the sun. <laughs> Is that like, I liked every excitement and all the news coverage that Into constantly brought in. But there are many days I was like, oh, I wish it would just calm down. <laughs> I wish Grinder, because like Grinder was in the news every day for something. Into would make the news for something. And it was like, great. But there were days when I was like, I just want to go to bed. And there's many people and companies that were just waiting and excited for you guys to fail. Yes. Oh, my God. People wanted us to fail so bad. And that's what was fueling the fight was that when I began, people would laugh. And I said, oh, you know, I joined Grinder as the editor-in-chief. And... They would be like, why would you do that? And I mean, what people don't know or don't realize really is that 
when I joined Grinder, I had lots of other offers on the table. I mean, we've talked about this before. Is that like I was very deep in a pilot with NPR that like if I didn't go to Grinder would probably be on the air because I would be more focused on it. So when I went, everyone was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why would you go to this tech company?" And I came because I was like, "Okay, we have a problem with queer media. No one's taking it serious." There's not a lot of excitement in the field at the moment. Um, and they have a distribution problem. And so I was set back and I was like, you know, Grindr is presenting me this opportunity. And like, why not test it? Like, go in and see, can a queer magazine be made for the digital age if it has Grindr resources? And like, I was looking around and saw things like Hello Mister, which is now closed, and other zines and magazines that were trying to merge, but they just didn't have the capital. And for me, I always thought it was a capital thing. There was an audience, but they needed the capital to get to those people. So, um... I did it (laughs) in those first few months. Everyone wanted to fail. You know, everyone in gay media wanted Mm. it to not work because the big fear for us was, you know, if Grindr can figure out this equation, they have the scale, they could take out all the advertisers and like take up all the space and kill everyone else. And that's what everyone was really worried about was like, one, can Grindr editorially do anything worth reading? Then we began doing that really quickly. And they were like, Okay, well, shit, if they can create content and they have the resources to, you know, fly photographers to like fucking (laughs) X country and just do it, then there was a lot of fear that came out. And then there was a lot of shit talking in the industry that was like, we can't let this happen. And I would meet with the heads of the other companies and be like, I'm not here to take you on. I'm here to like, see, can we lift a whole industry up? And to be honest, you know, I wouldn't be that in chief of the advocate if we had not taken, if I had not taken that approach and got a lot of people to do it with me to try to reinvigorate for media across the landscape. Yes. Because like while Into has a lot of flaws and a lot of successes, at the end of the day, what we saw the past year and a half was this huge frenzy around what does queerness mean in media and an explosion of platforms. Like 17 launches here. Condé Lance launches them. Vice tries to launch and kills one of theirs. You see more podcasts popping up, which is definitely even like a credit to you, like your show came out first and this, this is excitement. And then you see like, you know, our different friend has food for thought, but then like vice commissions him to do like another pop up and you see Nancy really blow up. And like, so all this happens at once. And it did hit at a time where advertisers were like, okay, we're interested in these things. Yeah. And you know, while grinder, people have a lot of feelings about the grinder moment of it, but grinder can just sneeze and makes the news. So when grinder said, you know, when I gave a talk at South by Southwest a year ago, and it was like how Grinders waking up. No, Playboy did a profile said how Grinders waking up queer sleepy queer media. It was like everywhere. And then I went to South by Southwest and gave this talk in front of straight people, and they were like, "Yeah, Grinders coming in to do this." So, you know, we failed at the end because we're over. But what's in the wake is you know this all this attention at like what's queer media doing, and I'm very excited about that. Yeah, and so looking forward to the future, it's a broad question, but like, what is your big vision for the Advocate? For me, it's going back to the roots, really. That's why I really relate to the Wired article that I was speaking about earlier is that, you know, the advocate for many decades was the source of news. It was the thing that was the watchdog that politicians did, uh, I think, get a little nervous when they get a phone call about. And I want to bring that back to be the primary source for many uh, other outlets who aren't investing the resources in telling queer stories uh, uh, in extensive or long form ways. My first few weeks have become this kind of like, I feel like an activist some days where I'm like, I'm on the phone with the White House, as I told you about earlier. And I'm like, hi, this is Zach Stafford, the editor-in-chief of The Advocate. Um, just wanted to do a quick call to let you know that like, we're back. We're going to be calling you a lot. 
just want to make sure we have the right numbers. And the, and the White House is like, what do you mean you're calling? I'm like, oh, no, we're going to be covering you like every day. And it's going to be super great. I want that cover. We're back. <laughs> we're back. Like, we're back. <laughs> we're back. And it's and then even with like so many of these presidential nominees, I've talked to all their camps and they're all willing to do things with us now. And, you know, it's just reminding people. And when I talk to them, though, everyone's like, hey, yes, I know the advocate. I love the advocate. I read that when here and there and then so it's not a hard thing it's just like re-establishing ourselves, and a lot of it has to do with you know we have that moment in media with like the rise of huffington post where queer people were verticals we were queer voices or gay voices we were x whatever um and that didn't work i don't think it really worked for us i think it's good i said this to a new york times reporter the other day was said she was like, do you think it's bad? How'd she put it? She goes, do you think it's uh, good or bad that there are verticals on sites for queer people? I said, you know, I think it's a, it's complicated. I say, but the one thing I do like about verticals at sites is that I know that you're at least hiring people like me. And I said, that's something the New York Times should consider because I know you don't have a queer vertical and I don't know if you're hiring people like me. And she was like, touche, that's so funny. I was yeah. like, so that worked. But now we're in a moment where we're in Donald Trump. We're in Donald Trump, rather. And there's just so much happening. And we need anchors in our life to be a point of entry into the larger stories. And the advocate for me is do, should do what its name says, is advocate that we're represented in the larger media landscape. You know, if we are 10% of the total population, then we should take up 10% of the media stories. And there aren't outlets out there making sure that happens every day. So that's like my goal for the advocate is that, you know, with every news cycle every day, that we find the queer story in everything that's happening. So that's an amazing public mission. Do you have a more private mission? Oh, <laughs> uh, so, so with that, I think privately, it's just like jobs and giving queer people like space to come in and tell stories. I mean, that's what I miss most about Into during my time there is that like we were able, I mean, thanks to the money, yay, capitalism. I would, for a brief moment, I got to see what like full employment or better freelance checks or better money to queer creators look like and what it did for them. And I'm really interested on the business side of like, how do we make that a reality in a real business way? But into where I struggle a lot, if you were like to catch me drinking martini at the bar, is that like, I'm like, I wish I had more time to really suss out that model that we had created and make it more sustainable. Um, because I do see a world in which queer content should be valued just as much as like Rolling Stones paying for things or whatever. So personally for me, I just want to see queer people know that when they tell their stories, write their stories, want to come in this industry, it's not charity work. It's not volunteer service. It's a viable profession it's a vile it's a needed asset to the world around us because i because we are needed we are like we're needed in every industry and the fact that our media still hasn't figured that out and made that work is what i'm personally really wanting to figure out for me i mean you bring up money do you mind if i ask about this out magazine controversy sure you can ask um, yeah. hashtag out o's yeah. is trending at the moment yes, it's not trending okay. but um there are a lot of out magazine contributors and advocate yeah. contributors who are unpaid. And this goes back many, many, many months. Yes. Just for people who don't know, Pride Media is newly incorporated, I guess. Yeah, it's a um, new incorporation that acquired all the properties. All the properties. And they're saying that Here Media owes people money. Yes, yes, yes. And Here Media is saying, no, Pride Media owes yes. it. And I don't know who is the person no, who owes money. Yeah. There's a lot but, of finger pointing. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that your name mm -hmm. is on the problem. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So like, what is being done to like solve damn, that? Damn. So, I mean, a lot of this first month is me in hard conversations talking about that. Cause I was like, hi everyone. I didn't know this problem extended. I mean, something that has been known for a long time in queer media is that queer media doesn't pay. And that it's an open secret. It's like a very open secret. And I mean, I haven't been paid in the past for things. I know you haven't been paid in the past for things. And it's like, it's this thing that we just allow to happen. And that's when I was saying, like, your work is not charity. It's how it was being treated for a long time. And uh, people were taking advantage of for many years. I would say that myself included. I'm sure I have outstanding invoices with the very company in which I work for now. (laughs) And I just don't remember. Um, And, you know, what's happening now is, you know, Philip Picardi and I have been very dogged with, the new executives that have brought us in to be like, what is our pathway to solving all these debts? Like there has to be something, you know, there is a legal battle happening between the newly formed pride media and the old companies in which they own them. And pride media has released as of yesterday, all the receipts and screenshots of wire transfers to the old company that was supposed to be them paying off all the debts that they were supposed to give to freelancers. Um, so according to these new assets that I think certain outlets have, including very major outlets that are reporting on this, um, shows that like Prime Media was paying their bill to this contractor. They were having contract freelancers, but that middleman stopped paying people. But there are also people who are owed money directly from Pride Media, who were commissioned during that time. Um, And those people have become a big focal point of the company of paying immediately because during the shuffle, um, there's been a lot of finger pointing to like, you know, we don't have a CFO, which was true. There was no one overseeing the finances and things were getting slipped under the rug and all that stuff. And now there's a lot of reconciliation. And for me, I cannot work for a place that doesn't have a clear vision on how to reconcile these things because there's no our community is too small for us not to pay people especially if we're talking this big game of like we're creating new media we're going to put like janet mock guest editing out there's no way that's sustainable of those projects if we haven't taken care of the people that have helped get us to that moment right a lot of the um unpaid contributors have signed an open letter Mm -hmm. asking for payment by the 22nd is that something that is like feasible yeah so it's in motion right now really yeah so um that was the letter that came out uh yesterday and for those listening that would be february 11th um and it was that um we yeah we have started ex- uh, we are following the demands that wow. they have on, which I think is great for them like I was like great I was very proud of people organizing around that um, and so yeah payments are going out now um, to folks that's major I mean it just feels so personal because it's our community mm-hmm. who is screwing us mm-hmm. and it's only the lowest people who are getting screwed yes right yes and that's the thing that's like so tough for me as I walk in I was like no everyone needs to get their money no matter the level. And like the thing with Intu, when I, like Intu was notoriously really good at paying people really quickly. Oh, sorry. Y'all paid me within two weeks and I almost like <laughs> dropped the check. <laughs> yeah. People like would call to be like, I already have a check. How is this possible? And that's someone that like, who was a freelancer for a while or under contract or dealt with so many of those systems. I personally know how hard it is. And I also know how dangerous it is. If you are commissioned to do like, I remember doing magazine covers and when you do print, you get paid like, you can get paid a few grand for that. And sometimes, girl, you'd be, you be planning your rent off of that. That check from X media company does not come in. And, like, sure, you shouldn't have, like, planned for that. But you know how it goes. Like, you know, the bank yeah. account is there. And it could ruin you. I mean, I know people that get homeless. So it's like, 
that's always been a big focus of mine and it's been the biggest project as I stepped in this to say, like I even, I told, and I think it's in the letter that we need to create a transparent infrastructure for freelancers to where they know where their money's coming from, where it's going, how is it coming? And they can see when the payment's about to come. I think that's really necessary. Yeah. And to be completely honest, um, um, I am an unpaid contributor. Mm -hmm. I owed uh, quite a bit of money from, you know, six, seven months ago. Mm -hmm. And, I can't be a bitch about it because I want to keep working here. Yeah. You and, know? That's what, and that's what like, <laughs> and I said, I think in the letter it says like, you know, freelancers that I think we put in there, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I try to put this in there, but I think it's in there, is that, um, you know, we are sorry for perpetuating harmful systems that freelancers find themselves in where they continually are exploited for labor and never paid, but no, can't do anything about it because there is that moment of like, like in this situation, like you're like, I want to keep doing this work and I got to shut up because if I talk too loud, then they may push me out. And that's where that's so, I remember telling people, and I say this to people now, actually, but I'm just like a few weeks in. So I'm like, let's hold me to this. But I tell people the two things that you can always annoy me about are no the one thing i'm gonna say two things one thing you can know me about is your coins like you were owed money by me let me know you can email me every day pitches like if i don't get back to your pitch shut up i'm sorry like i just I, do, I don't care i do care but like there are other reasons why this isn't running but there's a difference between like work you've done but you are owed money that i said i'm giving to you call me like reach out and like and even like i mean this is i'm gonna get in trouble for saying this over and over like when I left out, I advised uh, so many freelancers on how to get their money back through the different systems that are in the state of New York. Um, so like, I'm sure those emails will leak one day and be like, oh, she was part of like the beginning um, because I had payment issues with this with the companies that own the magazines, which we're talking about. And I would I went ham on some people about that. And I was like, you're not playing with my money. I'm in a different position. Even at that time, I had more clout social capital um than a lot of the freelancers that were there and but i was like that's not okay so i was advising them i was like just because you have 200 followers on twitter doesn't mean you get to be ignored that's not okay the money means the same to you as everyone else yeah and we can't do that anymore and it's nice to know that it's being taken seriously by the new leadership Mm -hmm. um whether it's like 200 bucks or 2000 you know like i don't care how it's just so demeaning to have to beg for a hundred (laughs) dollars yeah it's so so (laughs) like i'm begging for a hundred dollars bucks i remember something that i carry with me so much as a freelancer is i remember when usa today paid in gift cards from itunes 2010 i think if you wrote for the education section uh, and the college education section. And I didn't get my gift cards. And I remember wanting to buy something on iTunes I'd planned for, and I couldn't get it. And I was like, this is so demeaning. Like, I can't even, like, use my iTunes gift card. So I think about That's mortifying. <laughs> so much. And it's just not okay. And if yeah. there's an agreement made verbally about, you know, I'm going to pay you X for this, or, or contractually, whatever, it should be upheld. Um and if a writer was supposed to write for free, you should have negotiated that in the beginning. I have written for free many of times, but that was disgust. Same, but I won't say it on air. Yeah. <laughs> so it's too embarrassing. So, it's like, so we've all done things, gotcha. but it has to be consensual. But if a business does enter into a deal with you, they should owe that. And I know that even, yeah. I know the new CFO here, she and I joke, she's talked about it with me. Like we all believe that, um, but we're now in the situation where how do I make that a real thing? Because gotcha. I can sit here and say this to you all day, but it's like until that check hits your bank account, it's kind of like 
Hmm. Yeah. What do you mean? What does this mean? Yeah. So, okay, yeah. cool. Well, tell me this. You started at The Advocate at the same time that Philip Bacardi, as you mentioned, started at Out Magazine. Yeah, I started two months after him, I think. More or less. It's because the holidays hit. I think his was like end of October, minus yeah. January, mid-January. So it was like, we just started together. Yeah. So I bring that up because I think something that people are thinking about is that they're watching both of you working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Philip has kind of cleaned house in terms of staff yeah. and leadership positions and editors. And I think that people are looking at you and like expecting and waiting for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, is that? Yeah, so- a lot of people, I think even internally, people were like, oh my God, he's going to come in and do all these things. Yeah. I think it's just the expectation. It seems like that's not actually going to happen. It's not, which is crazy. Um, it's not going to happen. I think something, and I've said this to the out team here, is I come in every day impressed that they have done so much with such little <laughs> little resource. <laughs> like there's been, uh, you know, everyone thinks, I know with the out O's controversy people, what really got people heated is that, you know, Philip did rehire or hire a bunch of new people. And because her fashion magazine, things got really like glamorous really quickly and fashion week hit. And then people were being flown by brands to different places. And people are so confused about like, well, who's paying for these ships? Who's doing this? And I get, so that really helped, you know, organize people. And I think that's great. Um, but uh, when I came in, uh, I really quickly realized, you know, that the like, advocate doesn't have the same, you know, resources as out does um, different advertisers, different expectations. It's a news brand. Um, and the people who are doing the work here, we're doing tremendous stuff. I mean, advocate, I mean, you can look at comscore.com. It's more traffic than outmagazines.com um, to this day. And it's like, this staff is like only a few writers. Very, I mean, you, you're right. It's not a lot of people. So it's only kind of building from here. And that to me felt very much in the vein of the advocate historically has never had a ton of resources. And I want to see an advocate that has resources and access like into did into in its brief moment, you know, did have access, whether it was to politicians or to photographers in Mexico or wherever we had it. And I see, I've seen how it works. I've been to the mountaintop. I know that it's beautiful. And so I really want to build an environment where that happens. Um, and that's why it hasn't been a clearinghouse thing. And also for me, that's counterintuitive to what the advocate has done. The advocate has built off the people behind it each step of the way, always remembering them, always looking backwards. Like our events every year are about recognizing the new activists, but also doing a hall of fame. Like it's always about looking back to go forward. And I don't want to change that. And I think out is a different brand. It's fashion. Fashion constantly cleans house and changes and does things. That's great. But if I, you know, erased everything the advocate was, it wouldn't be the advocate anymore. And I like, I want the advocate to be the advocate. I've seen in the books how it looks when it is, you know, seen as like yeah. that thing. And I want it to be that thing again. It's a great answer. So. I have one more question, then yeah. I'll let you go. As you said, this you have this amazing, shiny, impressive job mm-hmm. and you're 27, eight. What are you? I turn 29 next week. Oh yeah. my word, 29 years yeah. old. Editor-in-chief of the advocate. This is a job that someone in their middle age would be very happy to have. <laughs> yes. How does having this job now kind of recalculate your plans and goals? Oh my God, why are you asking me this? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I do know. I have a lot of stress dreams about that. Um, you know, I'm always like, oh, it's like that whole Icarus mentality. I'm like, oh, have I done too much too soon? But I'm like, no, there's so much more to do. Um, and... I don't know. I've just been like something about me is like I started my first remember being 12 when I started a dog walking business. Um, so I was 12 I started a dog walking business at 15. I had a catering business um, or 16. Um, so I've always been a person that's like does too much. Um, so like in many ways, this job surprised like 
no one in my family was that surprised. Like, yep, of course, of course you're doing this right now. Um, but for me, it just makes me feel like I have more time to really get it right and I sprint through it now and to ensure that I'm doing a lot of system changes, you know, like I, to be the energy of the advocate and to have the beliefs that I have that probably mirror like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or these other like young leaders in different institutions is that like what makes it exciting for us is that we can come in and we're not sprinting against a death deadline. I mean, of course I get hit by Greta tomorrow, but like I'm not thinking about my health. I'm not thinking about these other aspects. I'm thinking about the work and I can look at my own life to know that many things are possible and that like if we work hard enough, we can change these things. So I think that's the energy that I'm, I bring to the job and also to my life. And so when I think about the future, I'm like, let's not think about it too much because then I'll be planning over and just try to be present. So I think like now due to my agent, let's, it allows me to be more present than maybe at a different time. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for chatting. Thank you. I just learned things about myself that I didn't know. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. All right, big thanks to Zach for that. If you enjoyed the interview, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, tweet about us, text your group chats. When you do those things, it's the biggest way you can help our show continue to grow and continue to be successful. So thank you to everyone for that. I also want to say that when it comes to protecting marginalized communities, Glad is currently leading the progressive movement to fight for an amendment to the Constitution. This would provide explicit protections for women, for LGBTQ people, for communities of color, and for those with disabilities. To join this growing movement, go to glad.org slash constitution. LGBTQ&A is broadcast from the Advocate Magazine studio in Los Angeles. They're the longest running LGBT news magazine in the country. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'll see you next week.